0: And as I'm moving up there, if you would grab your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 15. We are in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. This is a very important and significant passage. Let me give you a little bit of orientation before we dive in. Our passage this week contains two consecutive stories of God renewing his promises to Abram. Over the course of two nights, we will see a set of parallel meetings between God and the man of faith. Each, in each of these meetings, you'll see a, the same basic three-step outline uh, to the meeting. So the meeting begins with God proclaiming a word of blessing to Abram, and then we see Abram request an assurance of these promises that God has given. And then thirdly, in, those, in each of these meetings, you'll see that God responds with a sign to confirm that blessing. So while these two meetings both follow the same format, they also have a slightly different emphasis. They give different reasons for the same truth. Here's the big idea. Here's the big truth I want you to carry away from this message The truth of this passage is this, that because of the covenant faithfulness of our God, we can trust his promises amid all of our hardships. Because of the covenant faithfulness of our God, we can trust his promises amidst all our hardships. And that'll play out across these two meetings like this. In the first meeting, we see that our past disappointments do not disqualify us because the Lord is our shield against shame. Our past disappointments do not disqualify us because the Lord is our shield against shame. In the second meeting, we learn that the dangers of the future will not overcome us because the Lord is our guide into glory. The dangers of the future will not overcome us because the Lord is our guide into glory. So, brothers and sisters, let's pray quickly and then we'll dive into the passage. Lord, we thank you for your holy word that you speak clearly to us of your promises, of your goodness, of your glory, and of your grace. And so, Lord, as as I preach this morning i pray that you would make those truths clear to your people that we might be strengthened that we might see anew the beauty of jesus christ that we might love him more know more of his love for us and through that be changed more in his image and likeness by your holy spirit to live for your glory in all things we pray this in the matchless, powerful, and faithful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, let's dive into this passage together. We're going to walk through it uh, this morning. In Genesis chapter 15, it begins in verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God said, "Fear not, Abram. For I am your shield. Your reward will be very great." God is here speaking words of encouragement and blessing over Abram. These words are not terribly different from words we've heard before that God has spoken spoken over Abram previously. If you remember from chapter 12 verse 3 God had said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed and so God is just repeating that same promise here that you will have protection and you'll be blessed and while it may seem like God is just repeating himself we'll see in a minute this promise is actually specifically speaking to a doubt To a need that Abram himself is only beginning to recognize and articulate. Which that itself is an amazing grace of God, isn't it? That God knows our needs before we speak them. Before Abram says a word, God speaks encouragement. That is specifically tailored to a struggle that Abram is experiencing, but he wasn't ready to receive that yet. God knows Abram's real need here, even though Abram does not. And so Abram talks back to God. He actually questions these promises. You see that there in verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. This is an extraordinary thing for Abram to say. God has just repeated a, a promise of blessing and Abram's response is then to say, but, but when? How can, how can I know this will really happen? Why haven't I seen these promises come to, come to fruition yet? Because way back in Genesis 12, at the same time as promising protection and land, God also made the, protect the promise of children, didn't he? That Abram would have progeny. And that promise was, was not just made in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 12. It was renewed again at the end of Genesis chapter 13. God clearly hadn't misspoken when that original promise was made. But here we stand, years later, And Abram and Sarai still have no children. And so Abram voices his disappointment to God. Have you ever had something that you hoped for that didn't come? Have you ever prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered like you hoped in the time that you hoped? Maybe you're familiar with Langston Hughes' famous poem, Harlem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? And so Abram and Sarai, they had a dream, a dream that God himself had placed and proclaimed over them, not once, but multiple times, that they would be blessed, that their name would be great, that they would be a part of blessing the world, and that their offspring would outnumber the dirt of the earth. But here they were, years later, still childless so I wonder what Abram must have felt, what would have been going through his mind. God says, great will be your reward. And Abram responds basically by saying, reward? Well, what good is a reward to me? I'm an old man. Whatever I have, I cannot keep. If I have a reward, who will it be passed on to? What good is, a, what good is any of this? I'm still childless. I still have no heir. What is the point? And I think there's something else behind that as well. I think there's frustration. A sense of why hasn't this happened yet? I thought I was doing all the right things, that I was trusting, I was obeying, I was worshiping, I was living by faith. So what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? Did, did I misunderstand? Is there some step that I missed? Was it all just some metaphor and God didn't really mean what I thought he meant? Did I, did I wait too long? Did, did I say the wrong thing to the right person and so now I'm just out? I don't have the right connections. Did I mess this thing up? Is that why the promise hasn't come true for me? Am I broken? Because life doesn't seem to work for me the way that it seems to work for others, how I thought it was going to work, so I must be broken. I must be disqualified. I think all of us have something in our lives where we've longed to see God's blessing and haven't seen it yet where it leaves us feeling like, well, maybe God can't work meaningfully in my life. It could be like Abram, where it's in your family, a desire for a spouse or for children. Maybe maybe as a parent, you see your children making destructive choices and you feel powerless to change it. Maybe it's a financial situation or a job situation. Maybe it's a health issue, a mental struggle. Maybe it's a desire to find contentment and joy in your walk with the Lord. In all of these areas, you go to the Scriptures hoping to find encouragement, and you see the same promises of God that He has prepared good works ahead for us to walk in them. And then you find yourself in the dark of the night responding a lot like Abram. Well, what good does another promise do me? How would I be blessed and be a blessing to others when this part of my life feels so empty? Because the promises of God may be true, but they don't seem to be true for me. I'm broken. Do you recognize that kind of shame, that kind of fear and regret? Do you recognize that voice? Have you known how those words, those thoughts can feel like arrows into your soul? Maybe now you're starting to see why God started by saying to Abram, I will be your shield. Because as a loving father, the Lord hears this complaint. He doesn't resist or further shame Abram. Instead, he answers very directly. He says to him, this man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. In other words, Abram, you did not misunderstand. You're not disqualified or forgotten. Instead, the account of Moses goes on. Look at at verse 5. The Lord brought Abram outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And the Lord said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. This again is echoing the words of promise that God had already given to Abram in chapter 13, 16, that I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. That If one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. So just like the dust of the earth, could not be counted so too the stars could not be counted and in the same way the blessings of offspring that God will give to Abram will be more than could be counted the promise is still the same the intentions of God have not changed they are not forgotten they are not nullified God still has the same plan in play for his people And yet I think there's another thing significant about the night sky here, that God has taken Abram out to look at the stars and not at the dirt. Because as I read this passage of God telling Abram to look up at the stars, I can't help but think of another famous passage from the Old Testament talking about the stars. Isaiah chapter 40. Hear hear these words of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 40. He says to the prophet, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him," says the Holy One. "Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these. Look up at the stars and the heavens. Who made them? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because of his, he is strong in power. not one of this is miss- not one of them is missing. The stars are the handiwork of our mighty God, Isaiah reminds us. And God knows each of their names, just like he knows each one of the names of his people, his children, that he is called according to his purposes. Not one of them is missing. Not one of them is forgotten or passed over. Isaiah continues in chapter forty saying, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, do you feel forgotten? Do you feel like you're passed over? Like you're disqualified? like the power and promises of God are for someone else, but not for you? Well, then hear this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His, he gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Because even youths shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on, on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What Isaiah is telling us, the Lord is able to work through the faint. Through the weary, through the powerless, that those who wait on the Lord, who trust in His timing, they are those who will experience His renewal and His power. Because here's the thing this is all God's work. It's not ours, it's not Abram's. It was never in Abram's power to make himself go from childless to having offspring that outnumber the dirt and the stars. So you can't be too broken for God to use because it was never about your ability, your wholeness in the first place. It has to be God's power. It has to be the work of the same one who put the stars into place with no help from anyone or anything. And if he could create the universe and the ends of the earth and sustain them until today, then what difficulty is it for him to work his good promises? For someone like Abram, as we wait for his good timing. That's what God is reminding Abram of as they were looking up at the stars. This wasn't just a counting lesson. It wasn't just that the stars were pretty or that they could not be counted and so Abram's children could not be counted. No, this was a a reminder of the vigorous, matchless, and independent power of God Almighty. This mighty creator can and will do everything that he has purposed to do. He never needed the help of Abram to bring about the promised blessing. And so all of those voices of fear and of shame and of unworthiness and of brokenness are rendered completely irrelevant. Verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed God. He understood or began to understand that God could and would accomplish his good purposes apart from what Abram could see, apart from the fact that he was an old man, that his wife was an old woman, apart from the ways that they had failed in Egypt and how they would struggle and fail in the days ahead. Because the purposes of God are always about His plan, His power, and not our works. That's what the Apostle Paul reminds us of so many times in the New Testament that the righteousness of God, His ability to work in and through us, His ability to forgive us and call us His own, none of that is ever based on our ability, on our obedience, on our righteousness. It's all His power, His purposes. Because, beloved, we are saved by grace or we are not saved at all. So, that is the answer when our doubts arise, when we are reminded of our guilt and our shame, when we feel forgotten and broken. We trust not in our power, but in our Lord. He will be our righteousness, He will be our shield. Our past disappointments do not disqualify us because the Lord himself is our shield against shame. But maybe the question still lingers in your mind. How? How can this be? How can God work through someone like Abram? How can the Holy, Holy, Holy One call us righteous when we have so clearly failed? so clearly messed up. We've shown our unworthiness. Well, hold on to that question because we'll get to that answer in the next night. Next night, we see in verse 7 that the Lord Lord comes again to Abram saying, "I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess." And again Abram an- answers the Lord saying in verse 8, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So, God reminds Abram of the promised blessing of the land, a promise that had already been repeated in chapters 12 and 13. And Abram has a similar response as he did earlier in this chapter How will I know that this will happen? Because I don't yet possess the land, I'm still living in tents. So, when will this happen? Now, God's response here in this second meeting is a little bit more complicated. It starts with Abram gathering and killing a number of animals, and the purpose of that we'll get to in just a few minutes. But then Abram is put into a deep sleep. Verse 12, And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be Sojourners in a land that is not theirs and they will be servants there and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, we read all of that, and Moses' original readers would have heard all of this, and they would have known exactly what God was talking about, right? The Lord here is predicting to Abram the Exodus story, that the people would go into captivity in Egypt to be slaves for 400 years, the Lord would deliver them out of Egypt through the plagues, This is a story that the Israelites were living as Moses was writing the book of Genesis. And so they were journeying through the wilderness, going to reclaim the promised land from the Amorites and the other tribes that were living there. But to Abram, as he was hearing this from God, this was a frightening prediction. The Exodus was still centuries in the future from his perspective. He is finding out This is going to be a much longer project than he could have ever imagined. For years, he had waited for a child to begin to fulfill God's promise for a family, and now he's finding out that the promise of land was literally centuries from being fulfilled, more than 400 years. The end point Abram now sees is immensely further than he could have ever thought. So that's really an ironic response to his question. Abram asks, how will I know I will possess the land? And God's response is to say, this is a far, far longer journey than you could even imagine, than you could possibly know. So Abram must have felt overwhelmed at this point how do we get there from here how can i possibly trust in the promises of god knowing that the fulfillment is so far off i wonder how many of us feel that way you know my first point was talking about the disappointments of the past and how shame and guilt can make us feel like we're disqualified from the good purposes of god well the second point has to do with the challenges of the future The hard work that's ahead of us that seems too overwhelming to even look at. Think about how that feels when you know that the Lord has called you to obedience and trust and to vigilant faithfulness, but that work, it just seems too daunting and impossible. What does that look like? What does that mean? Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the ways that the culture right now is attacking the evangelical church is in the wake of the Dobbs decision. The culture so often is saying that the evangelical church doesn't actually care about the plight of women. And these are complex challenges. We say that it's immoral for a baby to be aborted, but what of the material needs of the mother? What if the child has extraordinary needs? what about all the children that are already in foster care that are awaiting adoption critics of the church want to paint us as only caring about birth and not about life the truth is for those of us who have been here is that we've been about that work for decades and there are amazing resources organizations churches and christians that have stepped into that gap in heroic ways but the reality is there's still so much work to do and we as Jesus church can look at these challenges before us and we can feel overwhelmed how can we seek to be a light in the midst of so many needs so many challenges Maybe you felt that way as our culture has progressed in in the LGBTQ plus areas, as the confusing, relentless, contradictory messages of the new sexual and gender ethic seem to be coming at us from all sides. Shouting that if we don't parrot back a party line, then we're hateful or want to erase people from existence itself. And that's not just something that's out there, it's in here in our own homes, our own families, our own hearts and our own minds? How can we make sense of the call to love and serve and bless our neighbors while also honoring God and rejecting sin, particularly when there are horrible, legitimate stories of Christians doing this poorly? Does that ever feel like a how do we get there from here kind of moment, kind of situation? how about race issues when the church in far too many ways has failed to seek the true flourishing of all peoples when theologians within our own church tradition have denied the true image of God in men and women with different colored skin just practically the truth is it can be hard Hard to love and serve those who don't dress or shop or eat or talk the way that we do. So how do we ever hope to reach that glorious day when all of us will be united as brothers and sisters, Jews and Gentiles, every tribe and tongue and nation, singing the praise of the one king and creator of all? How in the world do we get there from here? Let's go back to our text. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So now we're starting to see the purpose of the animals that God had instructed Abram to gather and to kill. It was for the purposes of making a covenant verse 18 tells us this on that day the lord made a covenant with abram so maybe that word is a little bit new to you we have a general idea of what a covenant is in our culture we talk about a covenant of marriage a solemn lasting relationship agreement between two parties in the ancient world these agreements weren't just for marriage you would make a covenant for a number of reasons Most particularly, a covenant would be made between a ruler and his subject. As part of these covenants came expectations, rules, laws. Backing up those laws were promises of blessings if the covenant was kept and curses if the covenant was violated. The covenant was ratified by these two parties passing through a sacrifice an animal will be killed, pieces put on either side, and the two parties in the covenant agreement would walk between those pieces. This was a visual enacted reminder that if either of these parties were to break or violate this covenant, then his fate would be like that of the animal. The one who breaks the covenant would be split, just like the sacrifice. That's why, actually, in the original Hebrew, you don't just make a covenant. You don't sign a covenant. No, you cut a covenant. And so the animals that God told Abram to gather and to kill were the sacrifice for the creation of this covenant. They were a binding assurance that God, indeed, would deliver this land that he had promised to Abram in chapters 12 and 13. But the details of this particular covenant, of how it was ratified, are actually very unique. Verse 12 tells us that Abram fell asleep, and in the midst of this sleep, verse 17 tells us, Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So what in the world is going on there with a fire pot and a torch. I'm sure for for you and for me, these images seem rather strange, and they probably were very strange to Abram as well, but I also think they would have been very familiar to the people of Israel that Moses was writing to, because the Israelites had seen something very similar to this every day for years. As the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, the Lord guided them, how? By a pillar of fire by night, and by a pillar of cloud by day. When the cloud settled on the tabernacle, the people stopped. When it lifted, they followed it until it stopped again. In this way, the presence of God himself guided the people on their journey through the wilderness. And it was this same presence of the Lord God Almighty that was passing between the pieces of the sacrifice for Abram, ratifying the covenant, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. This is verse 18. To your offspring I will give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Verse 19. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Ketamonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So how do we get there from here? How do we overcome all the tribes that are occupying the land, all the obstacles and challenges that are out in front of us? The Lord showed through the fire pot and the flaming torch that he himself, would lead the people. He himself would be our guide. Just like the Lord had guided and led the Israelites in the desert each day and each step of the way, the Lord was showing that he would lead Abram to the day that his descendants would indeed fully possess the land. Just as he had led Abram out of Ur and the Chaldeans, he will guarantee to give to Abram's progeny this land to possess. So if God were to unveil the entire road, the full plan ahead of time, it would have been overwhelming. It would have been incomprehensible. But God doesn't reveal his plan in that way. He promised instead to lead each step, each day. And in the end, they would arrive at their destination The enemies and difficulties ahead are more than you can imagine, but none of them can stand against the purposes and the power of our God. So think about how that applies to our challenges. As we seek to follow the Lord into the fullness of his kingdom, as we trust that the Lord will provide each day in the way that accords with his providence and his perfect timing, he himself will lead us. He has guaranteed the full deliverance of his promises. And the reality is we won't get the whole picture of how this will work out. Instead, we're given his revealed will. We know that we are called to use the opportunities and the resources that he has given us each day to glorify him, to follow him by bold faith to love and serve our neighbors. And we can trust in prayerful faith That he will give us wisdom of how to follow him today and he will do the same tomorrow and the day after that. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And he himself is our guide into glory. But did you notice the other detail of this covenant ratification? That all of this happened As Abram slept, Abram was sleeping. So Abram didn't walk through the animal pieces. Only God did. Ordinarily in a covenant, both parties would pass through the sacrifice. In this case, Abram was asleep and only God passes through. In this action, God was telling us, telling Abram, that he alone would do this. God was taking the full responsibility for the fulfillment of the covenant with all of its blessings and all of its curses solely upon himself. If the covenant were to be broken, all of the punishments of the covenant would fall not on Abram, but on God. Because the Lord knows our weaknesses. He is mindful of us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Our days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. The Lord knew that Abram in his weakness and his doubts and his fears could not fully keep the covenant requirements. And so the Lord took all of the responsibility on himself. And that is why the Lord was able to look on Abram's faith and count it as righteousness. Remember that from earlier? Because all of the requirements of the covenant would come not on Abram. It would not come on us it would all fall on God himself. It would all fall on Christ. Just like the animals were torn in two, Christ's own body would be broken for our sins. Going back to Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So that is our ultimate assurance that God himself in Jesus Christ has taken the full responsibility of the covenants upon himself. Because of Jesus his covenant faithfulness we can trust in his promises through all of our hardships because of jesus's covenant faithfulness we can trust his promises through all of our hardships and so when we feel shamed when we feel passed over like we're disqualified from the promises of god We remember Christ, that he took all of the curse that we rightly deserved so that we might be forgiven, fully righteous in the sight of God. In him, we have all of the rights of sons and daughters of God. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. If God would not spare his own son, how will he not also give us every good thing that we need to glorify him? And so you can tell those voices, those arrows and attacks that tell you that God has overlooked you, that God cannot bless you and use you for his glory, you can tell them Jesus Christ is my shield. He is my hiding place. All that is His is mine. What the Lord has determined, He will deliver. And no shame and guilt can stop His hand because we are dressed in the perfection of Jesus Christ Himself. The Lord is my shield. And when you feel lost, when you feel overwhelmed, like the challenges of the future are too great for us we remember christ that he was the one who left heaven emptied himself and took on the form of a servant he chose to walk through suffering and sorrow through hunger and homelessness through betrayal and loss for the joy set before him, he took the cross and despised its shame. No one took his life from him, but willingly he laid it down, and then he took it up again. He victoriously walked out of the grave, and so we celebrate his empty tomb. Death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory death where is your sting the sting of death is sin the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us victory through our lord jesus christ if the power of jesus has victory over death and the grave then what power of this world could stand against him This same Lord who was raised in power stands as the mighty king and head of his church and for a millennia he has sustained her. Through exodus and exile, through persecution and plagues, from heresies and reformation, the church still stands. Raised from a corner in the Middle East, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, And he will guide us to the end. So this cultural moment with all of its supposed promises, that's just a speck in the continuum of all eternity. And so with daily wisdom and sustaining strength through all the trials and troubles that we face today, he will keep us. He will guide us into all of the glories of his coming kingdom. So all glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can trust in your power, in your faithfulness. Lord, that when we are tempted to despair, when our failures and our unrealized hopes cause us to shame, Lord, we thank you that we can look and see your finished and victorious work and claim it as our shield. Lord, we thank you that when we look at the future We can look with confidence that we don't have to be afraid of all the challenges ahead of us, but we can know that the same God who was victorious over the grave has given his overcoming power to his people and that you will guide us into glory. Lord, we're thankful that you are with us now and you are with us to the end. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.